What's up, y'all? It's your girl, Sydney Clark, back with another lit episode of Come On Somebody, the podcast. Well, guys, I know you're wondering, where the heck have I been? Last time we talked, I was in Bali enjoying my solo travel. And then I came back, guys. You know, I brought my suitcase full of books. I had some assignments to work on. Well, when I got back, I was working, 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 working to end my first semester of grad school. Well, doctoral program is slightly different from just regular grad school. And the workload was serious. So let's give myself a round of applause. Yeah, because it's lit. Now, so that's that. I'm here today with a special guest, Mr. Steve. Yes, the fiance is here. And I brought him today because the culture needs some perspective. And today's topic, we're going to talk about this Juice World incident and these young people and these opioids and these sad songs that they're making and just get some male perspective other than my own. So let's get into it. Let's go. All right. So as you guys know, on December 8th, which was last week, the rapper, song artist, music writer, um, Juice World was pronounced dead after arriving into an airport and police ended up confiscating all kinds of drugs and guns and things of that nature. And so I have Steve here so we can just dive into, you know, what do you think about just the whole overall incident that happened with Juice World? Come on, somebody. <laughs> nah, I just always wanted to say that now that I've made it. Um, you know, this is an interesting topic because uh, it's, it's, it's multiple things that are happening in this case. Because one, you have an artist that's young, 21, and always talking about uh, popping pills, doing drugs, smoking weed, etc. But uh, as, as much as we would like to blame the music, this isn't anything new. It's not like it's not like this is uh, something that was outlandish or unheard of or the reason uh, for his death. Uh, and 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 when we look at somebody like uh, Gucci Mane who just came out of jail, right? Oh my god! I mean, I've been listening to Gucci Mane since bricks. 2000. All white bricks. <laughs> Two thousand and six, and. It's nobody that's a rapper that talks about drugs more than Gucci Mane, but somehow he was able to survive, right? So as much as we want to blame the music, it's almost like, can you really blame the music? Maybe, maybe not, because it's no different than our generation listening to Gucci Mane and Young Jeezy, the snowman. That was his whole moniker. Jay-Z, Reasonable Doubt, came in the game with 99 bricks, parked at 560 State Street. I mean, but I think the difference then, though, as 
they weren't necessarily talking about using drugs and how drugs make them feel and, you know, the things. Like, these rappers now are, like, glorifying drug usage, right? Right. As far as, like, personal drug usage. Where where when we're talking about Gucci Mane and Jay-Z, they're talking about the come up from, you know, Marcy House's project having to sell drugs to be where they are, which is an investment, (laughs) Um, and not killing off themselves. And so they weren't really, I don't really see that as like drug promotion, especially from like Hove, H to the OV. I don't really see it as drug promotion from him, but just basically saying that like you got 99 problems, but he drugs ain't one because we never heard anything about Hove doing coke or Hove talking about sipping lean or Hove talking about Molly Percocet. Percocet, Molly Percocet. Like, he's not, like, you just don't hear any scandalous things that's, like that. That's true. But what about, like, a, a Gucci man that goes, I'm a pill popping animal, syrups? Like, that, I mean, oh. how, how do, how, how did, I mean, obviously we saw, we saw, I mean, it's interesting because it's like, you know, when you're, when you're 21, especially when you're making money and you, uh, doing whatever you're doing, it doesn't even. You don't even have to be making money. It's just like when you're 21 or anywhere in that age bracket, you think everything is so new. You look at somebody like, like Pimp C. We've seen this story already. We've seen it. We've seen the story already. It's not like it's a new story. It's just almost for me. I look at it like the message doesn't ever get through because uh, Juice World probably isn't even old enough to understand what happened to Pimp C. He overdosed on drugs. He's sipping lean. The entire Houston movement was about uh, sipping lean. Everybody in Houston sipping lean. That was the thing. It was like a cool thing to do on paper or or in music. But it's almost like uh, the only people who actually get it are the people that are old enough to receive the message. Because somebody like Juice World, who's 21, I, I would be willing to bet my money that you know, people like Pimp C or uh, others who have, like even Eminem, who's relapsed on drugs several times, mm. or anybody that is uh, older than us, right? Or within our bracket or our time of listening to music, they probably aren't even aware of that stuff. It's like, remember, we were in the car with a, a, an artist that I work with, and he's 21, and I played him the Gucci Mane uh, mixtape from 2006. I said, Yo, you ever heard this? Nah, this is like some old school music. Now imagine that. A kid telling you that Gucci Mane is old school. Right. Because when I think of old school, I think of like your Marvin Gaye's, your Lenny Williams, your Al Green's, your Betty Wright's, and The Temptations and things of that nature. It is quite funny because my brother is 21 and he always is like, I'm an old head and things of that nature. But also, if you think back to like when we were moving when you guys are helping me move to LA and I forgot the artist that he was listening to, but it was like basically like him oh. um, being sad all oh, the time. Ex, 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 ex yeah. May he I rest in peace. I know. But this whole, he had a song on the radio that was entirely about suicide, which to me was weird. That was, I, I mean, I didn't even realize the song was about suicide until I actually listened to the words. And I was like, Oh, this, this kid is really sad. I don't want to hear this. I can't even believe that it was on the radio. What what song is that? I don't remember the song. Um, um, 
I do not. I just, know. I think. Oh, you know it. Suicide. Suicide. And this is why we're together because clearly neither one of us know the words to any song. I mean, I'm not listening to any kid that's talking about being sad. That's like, to me, that's lame. But to them, from our experience at least and talking to them. Oh, the this, song is called Sad? Exactly. Oh my God. Which to me is weird. I, but I, I would never judge like anybody for having their moment. Right, because because everybody has their time. Like, but does it almost seem like they're glorifying being sad and depressed? Of course, to me, I think they. I think that's like, oh, being emo is cool. I'm not here to judge. I'm just saying for for my perspective, how I grew up, that's corny. Yeah, like I remember. Oh my god, I went to um, my middle school was so diverse, and I remember um, the emo kids were like, "What? Why are you wearing that?" And like, "Oh, we're emo." Like, what the hell is emo? So they were really weirdos, and it goes back to that weirdo rap. And so, like for me, I feel like this generation of kids. And correct me if I'm wrong. Everyone's saying like they're so um, philanthropic. They're so in tune. They're so in sync with what's going. Going on, they're going to make the world a better place. But then, is it also true that they're very impressionable too? Because just the like we heard you back to your point, we heard songs about drugs and things of that nature. But everybody in my generation wanted to be a drug dealer, not true. a drug user. So, like, I'm not saying that we were less impressionable, but we interpreted that differently. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean. I, I I can't necessarily disagree with that, but I also won't won't say that they're weird either. Like for for me, it is weird, but they are not weird. Meaning, it's like I re, I can remember, um, and even <laughs> there's always like generational gap and then regional gap, right? I remember experiencing this two times, like living in Maryland and like in the D.C. area. That transition of Kids wearing skinny jeans oh. in comparison to like my brothers and sisters who are 10 years older than me. When we started doing that, they like, yo, why y'all clothes so tight? That's fine. And then by the time I was a senior, oh, everybody want, nah, I mean, mine's not tight, tight. They just like fit it. They like fit it. Like, so everybody goes to this nice. fitted look. But then by the time I actually got to Texas, right? And everybody went, they still were still. Uh, dressed to impress and the Jabos and Mitchell and this Yeah, they they were looking at me like I was weird because their clothes were still yeah. like big. So I won't say that the kids are weird, but I, I do think it's like uh each generation has their own thing that they transition to. So like for them, what's working, I feel like they look at it like yo, oh being sad is working. I'm gonna get on being sad. Ah, yeah, what did my brother say? Do you remember what he said? He said he would rap about being sad. I thought that, I mean, I, I just, and, and I don't, he said it because it's easy to talk about being sad. It's so hard <laughs> for me to be sad. Like, even, <laughs> even if I wanted to be sad, it's hard for me to go, I feel so sad. Like, <laughs> that's like, but, but also, there's that generational thing because you'll see somebody like Juice World, he was talking about um, being a representative for, um, being emotional and it's okay to say that you know uh you're feeling any type of way versus when we were growing up even though the internet was there it was not present and prevalent in a way that like these kids you could be what would be considered weird right now but you have a outlet like you could jump on social media and go find another group of people that are being called weird and now it's more them than it is 
of you. So now actually you're the weirdo, yeah. right? Like, so it's always like these different pockets in, in trends that happen, but I don't think it's necessarily any different than, than how we grew up per se. I, I think, think it's that's just what? amplified because, oh, this was hot. Oh, snap dancing roll is hot. Oh, Soulja Boy is hot. I'm on that. White Tees franchise boy. You always see a whole wave Fast. of copycat of whatever works. Like it could be one guy that's like because then re- it was yep in my pink tea. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> like like for example, when um I can remember when like uh 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 dang I forgot. Oh my gosh. So one thing you said that stuck out to me was like you were saying that Juice World advocated for like being one with your emotions and being vulnerable basically yeah. and not being afraid of like this is how I feel this is who I am and basically trying to teach others to embrace however you're feeling and accept others like don't say oh that person is weak because they're feeling vulnerable and they want to say that they're feeling sad which I agree with to a certain extent right because especially as it relates to african-american men from birth, you're taught that you have to be tough and things of that nature. But my question is to like, mm, because that goes back into like mental health and different kind of stigmas like that. And I saw an interview with him and Charlemagne and they were basically, he was saying like mental health is so important and things of that nature. But where's one's mental stability if they swallow 80 Percocets. Well, I think that is way bigger than than just mental stability. That is like somebody being terrified. Now, again, how do I look at this, right? I'm going, oh, now, and, and I'm going to say this in a way that maybe it's not PC, but whatever. When you when when the weird kid that is been, has been weird his whole life becomes the guy with all the money, guess what? When these street situations come up, you don't know what to do. Mm-hmm, that's fine. Versus, because the, the guys really been the, around it exactly. The guys that grew up around stuff like that, you know, oh, you know, you're not man. We about to flush this down the toilet. Facts. Or oh, it's only seven pounds. I mean, seventy pounds. That's that's nothing. You're a public figure. Oh, oh, you hide these on the plane somewhere. They're not even gonna find no pills. That's like peanuts. Oh, seventy pounds. Come on, that's that's baby. That's that's not real money. Like you didn't harm anybody. Oh, federal crime? Yeah, but it's it's legal everywhere. What are you gonna do? He's a public figure. You get what two years suspended, and now you just on probation. Yo, you'll you'll be okay. You got money. You're mm. gonna go. OJ Simpson beat a murder trial in cold blood. You talking about seventy pounds of marijuana in a state where? Oh my god! It's illegal. Let's not do that. I'm just saying it's legal. Almost. In more than fifty percent of the United States. So, just back to my point: when the kid that's never been around anything that's street related, mm-hmm. they don't know how to handle that level of. They don't know what to do. You panic. Oh, because oh, I heard this. What you supposed to do on the music? You don't have anybody around you letting you know. Man, this not yeah. Put that somewhere else. And and you as a star, you're not even supposed to be the person, person that, that take the charge. That's oh. what I was thinking. Like, what 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 about the friends? Like, whoever. First of all, what about your friends? Well, you know what, maybe you now. <laughs> or I can take it back to Texas. I ain't got no friends. I'm coming down real slow in my beans. Yeah, y'all know that. But anyways, the yes is fat pack for real. Okay. Anyways, so. Pat, pat. 
don't disrespect. But when I did some research, as we we're just talking, and I was just curious, but I says, you know, this kid was a kid that was very into the arts. He's playing the piano at age four. He's very gifted and talented, right? Um, he played the trumpet. He just very musically inclined, which is means he's very intelligent because if you can read music and then translated multiple types of music to different instruments. They say that those people are some of the most intelligent people in the world. But then also goes back to say he was raised by a single mother alongside with a brother. He was very religious and things of that nature. But it says he was like a heavy drug user from childhood and teens. So his little, if you look up his bio, it said that he began drinking lean in the sixth grade and using Percocets and Xanax. Like in the sixth grade, um, so it's he probably was listening to Future. That that is true too, but it's just like dang. <laughs> there's so many other things that one. My thing was why did you have so much of it? But in the first place, I want to dig deeper. And if he was here, I wish that someone would have asked him like, why are you taking Percocets? Why did you start taking Xanax in the sixth grade? Especially like me as an educator. What are some things that caused this person to you know? do such hard drugs. I, I definitely didn't even know what Xanax and Percocet. I don't, like, I know what a Xanax is now, but I still don't really know fully know what a Percocet is. And I mean, of course I know what lean is because I'm from Texas. and That's just a thing. But in the sixth grade, I definitely was not aware of any types of drugs and not even weed actually. So where, you know, what kind of things happen in this kid's life that make him take these turns into such drastic measures? Because he's been doing the Percocet since sixth grade. So this wasn't new for him. I mean... And 80... Eight, was it like 80 pills or... Yeah. Was, oh. yeah. Well, I mean, I don't... Again, I don't think... I don't think he was... When he did that, it's not because, oh, I want to take 80 pills. It's, I'm afraid that I'm about to go to Right, jail. but why does he even have 80 pills is because what I'm saying. The same reason he has 70 pounds. He was about to sell drugs to someone. You think he was going to sell the drugs? You don't have 70 pounds for personal consumption. What about Snoop Dogg? I don't think Snoop Dogg has 70 pounds. Just hang- what? Marijuana is a plant. So one way or the other, even personal consumption, no one person and even their entourage, I don't care how much entourage you have, you're not smoking 70 pounds for fun. Like that's not, oh, I need 70 pounds to consume. No, this is semi, this is to me, all I see is, oh, 80 pills and 70 pounds. Oh, that maybe like he was about to go sell drugs to somebody or he was... Trafficking drugs for somebody. This it, all I see when I see that is drug trafficking. I don't see. That's just. So I think he was probably a avid drug user as well, based on what he says in his music. But when I see seventy pounds and eighty pills, I see drug distribution. I don't see user. Mm. Well, okay. So y'all let me know what y'all think about Juice World and the teens listening to music and the teens being influenced by drug usage and the impacts of that. And then also, I'm just curious to know, what do you guys think as it relates to mental health? Mental health is something that I'm just, 
as I get older and more educated, I'm just getting becoming more interested in, I should say, in the health and wellness of your mental mental stability, if that makes sense. Um, so these children out here need help. And I'm not a parent yet, but I would just wonder what his mom has to say when she reads his bio that says he's been taking Xanax and Percocets for since he was in the sixth grade, and that was his leading cause of death. But anyways, that's enough about Juice World. I did bring up something that I wanted to talk to you about, about mental health. And so we started with Juice World, which is typically like the hot topic segment when I talk about culture, because that's something that has really been on my mind. But I really want to ask some questions as it relates to mental health and seeing therapists for couples because I have you here. And um, Ladarius and I did some conversations, had some episodes where we talked about, you know, couples and relationship things. But since I have my partner here today, I want to ask you a few questions and you can share your perspective with others as it relates to mental health and counseling and things of that nature for couples and, and as like as an individual. Okay. Okay. All right. So one question that I have for you is, well, let's just tell the people. So we're getting married, as you know, this is a fiance. And one thing that we've started doing was couples therapy. And a lot of people would just say, oh, you got to do marriage counseling and things that then it change. Typically some people, some pastors, if you're getting master, married with a pastor, would not allow you, would not marry you until you do so many marriage counseling sessions and things of that nature. But we are taking a different approach and we've been doing therapy sessions through BetterHelp, which is something that I told you guys, I also take my individual therapy with. And we have a couples counselor. And so I want Steve, to share some insight on your perspective on the importance of couples therapy before embarking on a new journey, such as getting married and starting a life together. I mean, we've been together for a long time, but what are some, would you recommend couples counseling for other people who are engaged and thinking about getting married? Well, uh, probably. I would say probably. Um, Because just being realistic, sometimes like uh it takes work to want to work on your relationship <laughs> uh, meaning sometimes you just don't feel like doing it you might need it and you don't know that you need it and when you don't know that you need something you just don't want to do it like even even with me knowing um that it's necessary for our relationship and for improving communication, um, you know, having set goals, getting on the same page, and a number of different things that impact our relationship on a day-to-day basis. Just going through with that process is, is, is something that you don't always want to commit to. However, what I will say is, from my experience in doing it, I actually appreciate it. Because I, I do see that for us specifically, it's improved communication. I do notice that um, it's easier to let go of certain things and, and, and get a certain understanding of one another. Because sometimes what we forget is that uh, 
the person that you choose to be with is not only your partner, but they are also the person that you choose to smile with, the person that you choose to laugh with, which also means that that's the person that you choose to argue and fight with, <laughs> right? So you, you can't forget that. So sometimes getting on the same page, setting goals, setting standards, is no different than, than a friendship, right? But the only difference is, you know, a lot of times, even if it's your best friend, um, that is the same sex as you, a lot of times you guys may have grew up in similar areas, have similar expectations, act on the same things, think about things from the same perspective. And in a relationship, sometimes you might find somebody that's the opposite of you that gives you the balance that you need. Like I feel like you're a lot more conservative, whereas I'm uh, a lot less conservative, right? Which for me, I think it's necessary for our relationship because you provide a certain level of balance, right? A certain level of security on certain things, a certain level of uh, being thorough and thinking things all the way through. Whereas uh, I might be more willing to dive into certain things and take risks and 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 channel certain uh, opportunities that that you might not necessarily look at, right? So we don't have the same mindset versus like your your best friend or somebody that you grew up with or you, like the person that you hang with on a day to day. You guys are almost like parallel thinking. So when it comes to a relationship, just having that that mutual person that has your best interests, yeah, your best interests, and um, no, they don't have. They don't have any gain from it other than to help you. Like they, they literally have nothing to gain from it. Whether they choose your side or the other person's side, they, they don't really have anything to gain. And it's not even about choosing a side as much as it is developing a certain level of understanding. And it's it's almost like um, going to to college in a lot of ways. When you were in high school, you probably thought you were so intelligent until you got to college and learned like, whoa, there's even more information that I did not know. Developing your critical thinking skills, developing your communication skills, developing what is uh, acceptable, uh, how to socialize with others from different backgrounds. There's a number of different things that you don't even realize that you're learning, right? And then you could do that and then you might uh, go further and, and do your master's and you thought, dang. I really thought I was smart. Oh, it's another level of smart. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it's always and for people who didn't go to school, you can realize that in a in a number in different of different ways. Yeah, yeah. It could be oh, you went from being an associate to a manager at your job, and you realize oh, it is more to this job than I even thought. Time management, uh, team building, bonding, relationship communication, etc. Right. It's always like a, an additional level of growth that you can obtain. It's just about you acknowledging that you don't know everything that you think you know. Right. I agree. I think that's that's very true for both parties. I think a vital part of counseling for me is just what you said, the communication aspect and being able to have someone that can facilitate or to give you tools to learn how to facilitate certain conversations when you're 
you know, sticky topics sometimes, it's hard to not have a conversation with your emotions involved because both of you are humans, right? So a part of you has to know that you have to put on a certain filter or lens when you're getting ready to have certain conversations, like you said, to know, okay, this is coming from a good place. This person is not trying to harm me or hurt me in any shape, form, or fashion. So with that being said, I have another question for you. And it would be, well, I have more questions, but this question is basically, would you, oh, did you say that you would recommend couples counseling for other couples? Yeah. Okay. Um, Before marriage. In general, you don't even have to be getting married. I think it's just. Uh, Good to have. It's, it's information that you think you know that you don't know. Yeah, that was that's what I was trying to get at too. I think that a lot of times people hear like, "Oh, we're getting married. We have to do premarital counseling. Oh, we're we're doing this." And I think, yeah, we did know that there were some things that we wanted to change in our relationship, and we thought that we can do them on our own. But now that we are getting married, it's like, okay, no, we know that we need to fix this before we go into our marriage so that we can have a lifelong, healthy, self-fulfilling, holistic marriage. And I think it's something that we're going to continue to do even once we say, yes, I do, and names are changed and things of that nature. Because I heard Obama... Michelle speak about her and Obama and they said something that therapy is not a preventive, is not a, oh, we have a problem, let's fix it type thing. It's more of a preventative measure. Like we're going to gain these tools and things so that when we do have a problem, we already know how to resolve them. Right. Um, Also, what advice, like what would you give Others, what kind of advice would you give others for like choosing a counselor? <laughs> I don't know. Um, I, I I can't even answer that. We've been through three different counselors. The only thing I would say is, uh, be open minded because it's, it's no different than a science experiment. You 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 have a hypothesis and then you find somebody that you think it will be a fit. You find out that they're not a fit. Make a change. <laughs> like it's 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 like um, you know, for me be, because I come from like a space of marketing and advertising, it's like somebody telling me that um, television commercials don't work. They work. You just have to find the right channel to put them on. It's no different than finding a counselor. Counselors work, but you have to. So you were saying that counselors work, but... Yeah, counselors work, but you have to find one that works for you. Uh, and it's, you won't know until you try. You know, you may think you know, but you just have to uh, give it a try and then give it a... You know, you figure it out as you go. It's no way to find out until you give it a try. What do you think about... Like, I know, like, for me, when I was considering, like, oh, my gosh, I know I need to do therapy. When I was looking for my individual counselor, one of the things that came up for me was, like, the cost. Like, oh, my goodness, how am I going to budget this into my life, right? And I knew myself that if I wanted this therapy and this counseling to be effective, that I couldn't go on a once a month type basis or I couldn't go on a bi-weekly type basis because things happen every 
day of your life. And I felt like just really to be thorough and efficient that you need to see your counselor weekly. So when it comes to someone thinking, oh my gosh, I'm, I know that we want therapy. I know that we need it, but we can't afford therapy. Um, they're trying to figure out how to put it in their budget. What it, What is your perspective on that? Should they still go through with it or should they just do it out basically? I, I think, I always think that there are answers uh, where you search for them. So, you know, financially, it's, it's no, I mean, for us, I think the financials of therapy was something that we considered because we got different rates from different uh, therapies where we actually go in their office, et cetera, where it was uh, really expensive. And we continued to search until we found a solution that works for us, which was the um, digital online counseling where, you know, it fits within our budget. Um, and it's not like overly expensive. Like sometimes the utilizing the resources that, that are right in front of your face with most people having iPhones, there are so many apps where there are counselors available that aren't an arm and a leg and, and it fits every price point from, you know, $50 a month or $50 per session to, oh, $300 a month for a monthly subscription or, you know, even the ones that are um, $100 an hour. There's always options. I think utilizing tools like the App Store on your iPhone or Android is always a good tool. Utilizing Instagram, searching uh, for uh, uh therapy counselors on through hashtags or even uh, locations. Uh, obviously, Google search, Yelp, um, even, you know, something as, as old as calling a friend and asking, hey, do you know any good therapists or counselors? Or the other options are, are would also include schools and, and, mm-hmm. and local universities. Sometimes, mm-hmm. They they have in uh, their counseling yeah, they, department. Some, yeah, sometimes they have counseling departments in their school where they do uh, counseling uh, for free. So yeah. I think there's always answers where you where you search for them. I think it's just being thorough in that search and being intentional. Yeah. I think one of the things for me is like um, it's an investment, right? So. Do you love yourself enough to invest in yourself? So again, make sure that you are your 100% self for not not just for your partner, but for yourself also, right? And like I said, it is a preventative measure to ensure that, you know, you guys have the tools in your toolkit to make a lasting, healthy, long union and especially when it comes to like bringing in children and things of that nature. So I just think that you guys, if you're feeling like, oh, I want to do therapy, whether it's for yourself or with your spouse or as a family with children and things of that nature, and you're worrying or questioning, oh, should I do it? It's really costly or I don't know if I have it in my budget. We make room for things that we want. And I know that for me, I'm like, okay, if I'm going to pay for this counseling and this therapy, there's some things that maybe I won't be able to do, or I might have to just 
tackle or tug my budget differently to allocate my funds properly to ensure that I get the help and do the things that I need to be live a healthy, sustained, fruitful life. And do you have anything else you want to add? I mean, yeah, partially that's that's true. Moving things around is true, but there's a book that I read, um, and I'm 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 really intentional about what I'm saying to Adam about this. Uh, there's no such thing as um, what is affordable or saying I cannot afford it. It's more so the mindset, which is an entirely separate conversation. It's the mindset of, of knowing, okay, I want this. How can I afford it? Mm-hmm. Rather than I cannot afford it. Just that mindset alone that most people have, oh, I want a house, but I can't afford it. No, you, what am I going to do to afford right. it? It's more so like, hey, you know what? Uh, what what opportunities are around me that can pay for this? Right. Uh, can I? I don't. Uh, as dumb as this may sound, can I sell t-shirts on on the corner? Can I sell waters at basketball games? Can I set up an online e-commerce store that can generate three hundred dollars a month? Um, can I offer an additional babysitting service to? Uh, the neighbors in my building, if you live in an apartment, or the neighbors in your neighborhood, if you live um, in a, a in a residential area, I, I think it's more so that thought process when you want to achieve anything. Well, thank you for that, dear. Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. Well, guys, this has been another episode of Come On Somebody, the podcast. I apologize for my absence. You know that I'm working really hard to be consistent with the podcast to come to you weekly. Oh, what was the title of that book? Oh, which book was that? Um... I don't know. It was a like, book that we read in the, in my book club. I like to suggest books for their listeners to read and check out. So, well, I, the last two books that we read was uh, was uh, the subtle art of not giving a fuck. And, come on, somebody! And um, it's a book by Dale Carnegie: How to Win Friends and Influence People. Um, those are the two books that we've recently read, and there's one more. Just pick one of those. Can you pick one of those and tell the people why they should read it to grow their brains, their minds? Uh, okay, I'll say I'll, I'll go with um, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. That was a really good book. Uh, that was a really good book. Um, if you give me one second, I can find the author. You could type it in and find it. Help them out. Tell them why they should read the book. They can Google well, it it gives perspective. It gives perspective on um, how to manage uh, a number of different things. You know what I mean? How to live and let go, and how to make uh, what to care about and what not to care about. It's, you just have to read it. It's a great book. That's it. That's all I could say. It's a great book. Okay. Well, that book is available on Google Play Store, eBay, Audible, Nook, and at all your favorite bookstores. The store, the book is by Mark Manson. It's called the Sub, Subtle or uh, Subtle Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. So that's that. I hope you guys check it out. If you finish, if and only if you finish reading small doses. Okay. 
by Amanda Sales. All right, I'm out, y'all. Have a good week. Enjoy the week. It's a short week for me. We get out at 12 o'clock every day this week. And the children will be home for the holidays on Friday. So I'll talk to you guys later. Have a great week. The choice is yours. 